Thank you for downloading the South Everett Foursquare podcast. This is Pastor Chris Pepler, and you've joined us for part one of our journey through the book of Acts. You can find us every weekend at the Village on Casino Road at 1030 a.m. or visit us on our website, southeverett.org. Enjoy today's podcast. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your
prayer over the last few days has been that as we gathered as his church this morning, that he would amaze us again. We'd be amazed again by the presence of Jesus as we acknowledge his presence in our midst. He's always present. Lord, we confess to you the times that our attention drifts and we get thinking about other things. Lord, you are so faithful. Lord, I'm amazed this morning by your faithfulness to just still be present. You don't get tired of waiting for us. I don't understand that. I can be tired of waiting for me. Lord, but you don't. You just, when we turn to you, when we fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith, you're there. You're always with us. You are always present. Lord, there is nowhere that we can go from your spirit. Not the, the heights of heaven or the depths of hell or anywhere in between, God, can we be without your active presence, Lord, and by your grace. We can turn to you in this moment, and so we do, to a person in this room right now. Lord, we turn to you. We confess the things that have been sparkly in our eye that aren't you, or the thoughts of ambition and recognition, the height of our name as opposed to the glory of your name. Lord, we submit ourselves to you, Lord, that your name would be lifted up in this place today. Lord, surprise us, amaze us, do something in us. I like this picture that Chris Norby painted for us this morning that we would be amazed as the prophets were amazed, specifically Elijah, amazed that the Lord set a pile of wet wood on fire. Like, that's surprising. I wasn't expecting that, right? You know, and what I appreciate about that this morning is that sometimes I show up in the presence of God and feel like a pile of wet wood. Does anyone ever just, like, I got nothing to bring you. I'm not emotionally hyped. I'm not feeling it today, Jesus. Like, I don't want to serve you. I don't want to lay my life down. I would suggest that as we follow Jesus, that is the condition of our emotion more than not. And God's okay with that. Like, he doesn't need us to feel all bubbly inside to work through us. In fact, uh, it says that, you know, it's through suffering that his will is completed in us. So it's okay that we don't feel it sometimes. He's still alive and present in us. And he will light a wet pile of wood on fire if he feels like it, and he does. Amen? So just confess the condition of your heart. Maybe you are in here this morning. Maybe you jumped out of bed today and were so ready to take the day on. That's amazing. That happens also. So let's not deny that or feel bad about that. Sometimes we get up and we're just passionately ready to serve Jesus. Praise God for that. And then there's other mornings. And we're just like, well, today, faithfulness will, will be the order of the day. And the power of Jesus will be the order of the day. And he will do in us and through us things that surprise other people. You use that pile of wood, that pile of wet wood over there. Use Chris Pepler, that pile of wet wood. You did something to it. Yeah, he does. He does that. And so, Lord, we just we come before you this morning. We trust and believe that your spirit is present with us. We trust and believe that the power of your spirit is in us, God. And then freshly today, we will ask of heaven that your spirit be released from us. For whoever believes in me, Jesus says in John 7, 37, streams of living water will flow from within them. John went on to say, and by that he meant the Holy Spirit, which the disciples had not yet received. But we have received the full indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. So God, do with us what you would.
I'm excited to just have a conversation together this morning about the Holy Spirit. And what I want us to do this morning more than anything is to hold firmly and reverently to the power of the Spirit in our midst, that we hold firmly to the power that's available to us through the Spirit. But what we hold very loosely and very humbly is our understanding of exactly and precisely how the Spirit goes about doing what the Spirit does. Because there's a lot. <laughs> the whole, who has understood the mind of Christ? Who has understood the mind of the Lord? We are experiencing that. The Word says that we see in part. We see in part. And one day we will see fully, but for now we see in part. And so that means we all see different parts of it. And as we have discussions about the Holy Spirit, um, I, I would want us to hold firmly to the power that is available to us and, and loosely and humbly to our understanding of exactly how it works. Because everyone in this space and those who aren't in this space today have had different experiences with the Holy Spirit. Some really positive. Um, some experiences that people have had with the Holy Spirit have actually created dividing walls that keep them away from places of fellowship because of unintended harm that was inflicted upon them. And so just at the outset of this conversation, I just want us to say that uh, and remember that in these discussions that happen all throughout Scripture uh, about the power of the Holy Spirit, about speaking in tongues, about all the gifts that are available to us, what I want to continue for us to foster as we foster many things as a church is the grace in the space that we can come together realizing that we come at this from different perspectives and that's okay. It's okay to have differing opinions, different understandings of these things. What's not okay is we don't respect each other with our different opinions. Amen? So, anything that's said today is for discussion, right? But we know that the word of God is true. And that he gives us space to wrestle with this stuff. So, Jesus, thank you for being present. Oh, Lord, we just want to be amazed by you this morning, and you know what that looks like more than we do. So we freshly submit ourselves again to you this morning. Lord, as we go to your word, show us new things. Lord, pour out your power upon us that we might be disciples as you've intended us to be, to bring your hope and your life and your joy to the, word, to the world through these gifts that you've given us. Uh, Lord, but by your power, not our own. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 1, if you would go there with me, either in your bound Bibles or with your digital Bibles, whatever the case may be. I just want to read the scriptures that we're going to be talking about today uh, in full, and then we will come back and begin to unpack them. The author of the book of Acts is Luke. Luke is a continuation of which gospel account? Luke. Luke. Very good. Was Luke one of the disciples? Yes. No. He was a doctor who felt it appropriate to give a full and complete account of the testimony of Jesus. We learned a few weeks ago there is this theory that the notes that were originally taken, which became the gospel of Luke were written when Luke and Paul were in Rome needing to give a defense of their proclamation of the gospel. And so they gathered these stories together because going before the emperor, they had an opportunity to make an appeal. And they had notes prepared for that appeal so that those who they came before could know the person of Jesus. 
And there's a strong sense that that's why the notes were prepared. That was in large part Luke's motivation in preparing the notes that became the Gospel of Luke and then became the book of Acts. We know that when the Gospel of Luke began, Luke was talking about the Gospel in third person. Some point along in the journey after the Gospels leading into the first missionary journeys of the early church, we find that most likely Paul met Luke, who very likely could have been the Macedonian man who called him to Europe. Don't go to Asia, come to Europe with the Gospel. Because what happens in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts is that all of this they language turns into inclusive we language. So at some point, the author joined the story. I think that's kind of interesting that not am I an author of scripture, but I am a reader of scripture. And as the author of scripture joined the story, as a reader of scripture, I joined the story. We joined the story. We step into the things by the power of the spirit that God has called us to and prophetically said, those who come after me, Jesus says, will do greater, even, even greater works than these. Guess who he's talking about? He's talking about his church filled by the spirit, the new temple. The people of Jesus who sit presently in this room today have become a part of the story because the same Holy Spirit that was poured out on Pentecost is the same Holy Spirit that is with us today. Amen. It's easy sometimes to forget that that is the case, but that is indeed the case. That same Holy Spirit is with us today. Guess what else the scripture says? It says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to his followers today. Amen. And so we step into that even more fully and more completely. And so you see a very similar beginning to the book of Luke, as you, the gospel of Luke, as you see to the book of Acts. It says here in Acts 1, verse 1, in my former book, Theophilus, he's speaking to Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After suffering, he, that being Jesus, presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and began to speak of the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. They, then they gathered around and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? We'll talk about the irony of that in a minute. But he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Zach's going to come up in a few minutes and share about verses 9 and 10. 11. And 11. I want us to turn really quickly to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. A few more things happened. They picked another disciple to replace Judas. And then it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. 
All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They had come for the festival. That was their regular tradition, to show up in that place. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these people who are speaking Galileans? Like, aren't they like from here? Don't they speak the native tongue? Verse 8, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome. Like, this is the Olympics going on of people, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Christians and Arabs. We all hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does it mean? Some, however, made fun of them, saying, maybe you've had too much wine. And then Peter, and then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Hold on, settle down. Let me tell you about it. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken about through the prophet Joel. They knew Joel. Many of them had memorized the text that Joel had shared in his prophetic vision hundreds and hundreds of years before. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. My prayer again for us this morning is that as we investigate the opening scenes in the book of Acts, that we would be amazed again by both the presence and the power of God. Amazed again. I say amazed again because we all run the risk of getting too familiar with this story. We run the risk of being consumed in our accumulation of information. Does anyone love to know why things are happening, how things are happening, when things are going to happen? Just give me more information. Help me understand the text in the Greek and the Hebrew and everything in between. I just want to know more. I want to consume. I want to have more information than I currently have. All while forgetting about the presence and the power of the Spirit available to us through His Word. Presence and power. I seek information more often than I seek presence and power. Just a confession. Anybody else wants to join that camp? Feel free to jump in with me. There's more space. Information is good. We need information. But what we need more than information is the presence and the power. We go back to Acts 1, and Jesus is having this conversation. Right? We know that Jesus is having this conversation somewhere in this 40 days after his Resurrection. He spent 40 days with the disciples before he ascended into heaven. Ten days later, Pentecost, the spirit fell. They wanted information. It just says, and on this one occasion, 
He said he was speaking to them, proving them that he was alive. Why do you think they might want proof that he was alive? Because he was dead, like verifiably dead. And so when a dead person is no longer dead, you probably want some proof that they're alive, starting with a pulse. It says in Acts 1 verse 3 that he was providing verifiable evidence that he was dead and now he was alive. And then they're just having lunch one day and he says essentially, oh, by the way, um, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days I will be baptizing with the Holy Spirit. It's so easy to become so familiar with that story, but put yourself in the moment. You have a rabbi that has loved you like no rabbi has ever loved you before. And then he shares a meal with you. And then he washes your feet for you. And then you watched him brutalized at the hands of the Jewish leaders and the Romans. And then you see him put on a cross. And then you see him laid in a tomb. And then he's up on Sunday morning. And now he's with you again. Yeah, he told you the night before he died that the Holy Spirit would come and all this was going to happen. But if we're honest, and the disciples were human like us, how many things have you heard in the midst of a traumatic situation that you subsequently forgot? Could they have known that this was coming? Yes. Could they have known how it was coming, as Justin suggested this morning? No. And no idea what that was going to look like. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Wonderful, Jesus. What's that like? Don't worry about it. I'll show you when it's time. But he's preparing them. All of this is coming to them. And he's telling them, I am going to give you power. What do they want to know? So are you going to like put it back to how it used to be? They are missing the whole thing. So, But, when, but Jesus, like you're back now, right? Like you're back. You're, we lost you, but you're back now. So we do, the last thing we want to do is see you go like a rocket ship up into heaven into the clouds. Like that would be the worst thing because you're back with us now. Remember, these men and women who follow Jesus were human with real emotions and real feelings. And it's so easy for us to take this story for granted because we knew the ending from the beginning. That we don't have to have all the answers. What David Kwan reminds me all the time is, yeah, answers, information is great. What we need is power. Power. We need the power of the Spirit to do what we cannot do in our own strength. So here are these guys. And they're asking the wrong questions because they want information and not power. But then Jesus is faithful. He says again in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. What does that mean? It means that you will be my witnesses in Everett. You will be my witnesses in Snohomish County. The state of Washington, United States of America, and the ends of the earth still actually means the ends of the earth. Jesus initiated disruption. This whole story is very disruptive. <laughs> Can you imagine? Wait till the Holy Spirit actually falls, right? We read that passage already. They're with a group of people. They do not speak the language. Suddenly the Spirit falls and they're speaking the language. You want to talk about times when I've been amazed by God? I don't know how this stuff works, but I've seen it once. And so undeniably, I believe that it's true. Some of you have heard the story, but in 2000, I traveled to Croatia, Pula, Croatia, on the Adriatic Sea for a mission trip with East Side Foursquare Church. But we were having a worship service in this big plaza on the Adriatic Sea in Pula, Croatia. And we're praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit with a Foursquare Church. And so they call for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that people might be filled with the Spirit, and some might speak in tongues. Some. So my friend James is standing next to me. He receives his prayer language. 
doesn't quite fall over, but the Croatian next to him almost fell over because the language that the Lord gave James in that moment was Croatian prayers. And I'm like, oh, you're still doing it, Jesus. Have I ever seen that again? Nope, but it's real, and I trust. These examples, these illustrations, it's disrupting. But disruption is a really, really good thing in the life of a believer because it creates dependency, and dependency creates intimacy. And then there's this little spot in the middle where Jesus has ascended before the Spirit comes down. And I want Zach to come just briefly. Um, Zach is a growing disciple of Jesus and wanted to, he wants to grow in his ability to speak publicly about the word in front of people. And so we wanted to give him an opportunity. I said, what would you like to share about? He said that little gap in the middle, verses 9, 10, and 11. So I just want him to read that uh, and then share what's on his heart about that. So, um, verse 9 to 11. After he said this, he was taken up before the very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky um, as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him going to heaven. This is basically speaking to me like you're in awe, but you're also in shock at the same time. But what are you going to do now about it? What's your next steps? Don't just sit there, but keep going. Give us one example, Zach, of how that plays out in your own life. Maybe something from your experience as you traveled to Colorado Springs and then to Kosovo, somewhere where you were in shock, uh, but also in awe in the same moment in your experiences with Jesus. This, um, this in Colorado, I just was walking the gas station. This guy was just out just walking around. I was able to, I walked past him and the Lord was just tucking up my heart just to go back and talk to him. And it was his birthday. Wow. He was just having a hard day. I was supposed to be quiet. Thank you, Zach. Uh, I sent a resource this week to you, which has been a really great guiding resource in my life for the last 20 years. Uh, I was given my first shot in vocational ministry with Eastside Foursquare Church in 2002, hired by Pastor Jim Hayford Sr. Jim now lives in Arizona with his wife, Betsy. They are wonderful people. We love them very much. There's so many things I realized that I've learned from Jim. And he wrote a document in 2002 called Not In, But Out, a pastoral chat about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. By no means to say that this is the authoritative word on the work of the Holy Spirit. What I really appreciate about what Jim has written is it's very balanced. He does not say, thus saith the Lord via Jim Hayford. He just says, this has been my experience with the Holy Spirit, and, I, and if it would be helpful for you, um, here you go. We are a Pentecostal church, which simply means that we believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still in play. There are groups of Jesus-loving disciples who we will worship with in heaven who are of the persuasion that the gifts that were made available to the early church have stopped. The most perfect thing has stopped. Now that's somebody's opinion on this who also loves Jesus, so we make space for that. We have to, or we're cooked. 
Because then we're going to say, well, we actually don't believe that salvation is based on the grace of Jesus. It's based on whether his gifts are still available to us or not. And that is, that's not true. We are saved because of the blood of Jesus. And then we are in our best efforts trying to figure out what that means. As a Pentecostal church, as a charismatic church, which believes in the gifts of the Spirit that are still available to us for healing and knowledge and prophecy and shepherding and all the gifts that are available, we believe that the Holy Spirit is still available to us today the way that he was. Now, if you have a different persuasion, let's keep talking about it and let's keep following Jesus together, okay? So we're just having a discussion about it because it is our roots. But Pastor Jim, I feel like does a really, really good and balanced job just walking through this. And my encouragement to us, especially as we continue to talk about the gifts of the Spirit this week, next week, and for the totality of the month of January, uh, we're going to continue these conversations. We've talked about the gifts from Ephesians 4. We're going to spend some time talking about how the gifts from 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans chapter 12 stack up on top of that. And then we're going to work on identifying, continuing to identify what it is the Lord has put in us and how it can be empowered by his spirit. Amen? Because we're a church that follows the word and the word is living and active. And we actually want to keep seeing stories like Zach and his buddy at the Colorado gas station replicated over and over and over. The other week, Heidi, a gal that she's been walking with, uh, with Esther's Place Ministry, finally got housing after how long? Four years. That's the ministry of the power of the Holy Spirit. We want, that is it. That's it. It, it. We want to share those stories and be people who are actively living that out. Jim begins this document by returning to John chapter 7. As Jesus has entered the city of Jerusalem for the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of the Tabernacles, one of the things that they did at this feast was go up to the very high part of the altar at the temple, and they would cleanse the temple with water. And because of the blood sacrifices, it was a spiritual thing, but it was also a pragmatic thing because, like, you know, uh, animal sacrifices makes a mess. So they would go up and they would cleanse the temple and they would pour water and the water would flow down out of the temple and into the courts and from the courts and down into the streets. And it's best understood by scholars that when Jesus makes this statement in John 7, 37, you can flip there if you want real quick. It says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Verse 39, not the words of Jesus now, but the words of John, the one whom Jesus loved. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Upon that, up to that time, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So he's, he's foreshadowing this thing, but it's thought to believe that there was so much water running down the streets that he makes this statement about living water flowing from within us with waters you know, kind of coming up around his ankles. Water was flowing from the temple, from the place of sacrifice. Streams of living water would flow, not from the physical temple. If you had a chance to watch the teaching this week, the big surprise, the big aha, the big amazing thing in the book of Acts is that guess who's the temple now? The people, not the building, the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us and works through us. And so we see this first in John 7, 37. This is important to know from the best of my perspective. Again, I hold this with, with the power of God firmly with my understanding of it very humbly and loosely. But as far as I know, when we confess the Lordship of Jesus and surrender our lives to him, 
We are filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment. We are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. The spirit is the place in us where the Holy Spirit takes up residence upon invitation. He, he waits for us, and as soon as we open ourselves to his work, he comes. And he takes up residence in our spirit. This is the most incredible outcome of Jesus' death and resurrection, is that the Spirit has come to live in us. We become the new temple. God was found in a place, but now he is found in his people. We come to Christ, right? The Spirit takes up residency in our lives at that point, the best I can understand, according to Scripture. We are baptized with water. Even Jesus says, John came baptizing with water, but I come baptizing with the power of the Holy Spirit. So what is this? When we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, it means that his power is released from us. Streams of living water will flow from our lives. And that everything around us comes up different. There's all these discussions going on in the Pentecostal church, the Assemblies of God church, the Foursquare church. A lot of these churches have discussions around this question. How do we know that it happened for you, that you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? This has been a long debated topic for 100 years. It has also, like I mentioned, created great things and some unintended consequences as well. Some would say that the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Some would say, unless you speak in tongues, you have not been filled with the Spirit. Okay, again, we're not... We're not dividing heaven and hell over this issue, right? But if we look most fully and responsibly with the scriptures, I can have a, I have friends who believe that. We're friends. But I would say, I think I see scripture a little bit differently, and that's okay. That the infilling power of the Holy Spirit is an evidence. That it can be the evidence, but it is not fully and completely the only evidence of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Case in point. Billy Graham, never spoken tongues. I would have a dip, not that he didn't desire it, he just didn't, he didn't get that gift. I think it was probably available to him. I don't know why he didn't get it. I don't know. That's up to Jesus and the Spirit. But I would be hard pressed to say that Billy Graham was not filled with the Spirit of Jesus. <laughs> we see five evidences in the book of Acts. You can go check them out. We don't have time to dive into them completely. But five evidences in the book of Acts where people are filled with the Holy Spirit, beyond the point of salvation, like it was a subsequent act. It came later. We see evidence of three of those five speaking in tongues, and two, it doesn't make any declaration about it. So I think reasonably and responsibly, we might come and say, well, maybe, maybe it isn't everybody, and that's okay, but could God still desire that for everyone? Sure. What does speaking in tongues do? That's a whole discussion we'll get into in January, but this is a gift that's unique. And this sense that as a believer speaks in tongues, they are edified. It is a way to increase focus and clarity around our own relationship with Jesus. Now, if someone's going to give a word, that's a whole different thing. But this is a gift for us, and it's not something to be afraid of, nor is it something to be ashamed of if we haven't received it. That's so important as a shepherd that you know that. If it's something you desire and you're not sure about, if it's something you desire but you have experienced maybe uh, some manipulation around, let's have a conversation about that. Because God doesn't want to manipulate us. He doesn't want to twist his arms, our arms. I, I don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit works, but I do know that he makes space for us. So we're baptized in the Spirit. Power is released from our lives. This word baptism in the Greek is baptismo. 
It literally means to come under the influence of something. This is a fun fact. When they were doing archaeological digs at some point in time, they found pickle recipes in ancient Israel. Like, they find a lot of things in the ground, right? One of them was a recipe for pickles. What do you do with a pickle? Or how do you get a pickle? You take a cucumber, you put it in vinegar, you fully submerge it in vinegar, and you leave it for a while, and once it come out, it comes out a pickle. It's been transformed. That word in the pickle recipe is also baptizo. Isn't that kind of fun? Fun fact? So when we are baptized, we come under the influence of something. What does it mean in society to be under the influence? What are we usually doing in front of the influence? Drinking. Smoking. Point where we are now doing things that we would not have done had we been sober. To be baptized by the Spirit also means to come under the influence, but I would rather be under the influence of the Spirit and not a narcotic. But it also makes me do things I wouldn't otherwise do necessarily, like lay my life down for no good reason, for somebody else. When we come under the influence of the Spirit, we start hanging out with people experiencing homelessness, helping them get housing for no good reason, because Jesus called us to love people. We see it most clearly in Peter's life. I think it says that all people who were present at Pentecost Spoken tongues. So, by definition, Peter spoke in tongues. But I don't think that's the most incredible thing about the infilling power of the Spirit or evidence in his life. We look at Peter's life, and six weeks prior to that, he is following Jesus around in the shadows as Jesus is led to his death. A servant girl came up and said, Hey, are you part of him and his posse, his entourage? No, never seen the man. And then another person, and then another person. So in the shadows, in the presence of small groups of people, including a servant girl, Peter had no courage to share that he was associated with Jesus. How devastating. Only six weeks after denying your rabbi and watching him die and raise again, and now he's sitting with you and having lunch. He's telling you that the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on you, and then it is. What do we see immediately happen in Peter's life when we go from Acts chapter 2? You can just flip through the story real quick. And, and see how this plays out. In Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus talking with his disciples. In Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit come down at Pentecost. And Peter addresses the crowd, tells them about, again, reminds them of Joel. And then goes on and talks about Jesus of Nazareth. You think it took a lot of courage for Peter to blame the Jewish leaders for killing the Son of God. Where did that courage come from? Well, it came from the Holy Spirit. And then we see how the early church forms. And then we see Peter going to church on a Saturday. And he heals a lame beggar. And then the crowd gets curious. And so they ask about it. And he proclaims Jesus. And then the crowd takes him to the religious leaders, a group of them. And he proclaims Jesus again. And then he's thrown in prison. And then he proclaims Jesus again. And thousands of people come to faith. The greatest evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in Peter's life is not that he spoke in tongues. It's the power to be courageous to share the present witness of Jesus with a hostile crowd. We see his life change. I would imagine most of you in this room could look at your old life and look at your new life and see the same sort of things. Maybe it's not quite this dramatic, but you are different. We are different because of Jesus. What I want us to do is spend some time this week reflecting on how we are different because of Jesus. What I want us to do is just spend a few minutes, and we're going to make this as simple and as accessible as possible. I believe that when we ask to be filled with the power and baptized in the Holy Spirit, that His Spirit will 
flow forth from us. It will. There's this beautiful old proverb, and it talks about, it's not a biblical proverb, but it's an old, I believe, Asian proverb, but it talks about a, a, a water carrier back in the day who has a, like a, you know, jugs of water on either sides of a long stick that he carries over his shoulders. And it talks about how the, the water carrier would go back and forth from the town down to the river to get the water and then back up and then back down. And one pot was whole and complete and held all the water. And then one pot was cracked. Cracked to the extent that it still carried water, but by the time that it re, re, arrived back at the village, half of the contents of that water had spilled out because of the crack. And it's a proverb, and so the water carrier starts talking to the pot that's despondent about being cracked, right? Just a story. But the, the pot that was cracked was upset that it wasn't fulfilling its purpose because it couldn't get all the water back to the village. But the water carrier had noticed this crack long before, and instead of filling the crack to make the pot whole and complete in and of itself, the water carrier planted flower seeds along that side of the path. And so then the response from the water carrier back to the cracked pot was, I want you to pay attention to what's along the path when we walk. On which side of the path are there, is there new life coming up and which side isn't? And the pot then realized that because of its cracks, this whole time it's been watering these flowers. And it's just a beautiful depiction, I think, of the work of the Holy Spirit. That What does it say? Well, we carry this treasure around in jars of clay. We are cracked. We have, we have, we're a mess on our best day. But the outpouring work of the Holy Spirit, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, is to be a pot that has a crack in it and leaks. And as we go back and forth, because the power of the Spirit, streams of living water are flowing from us. If you want to know, Pastor Jim would say this, if you want to know whether or not you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, look around your life. Are the people and places around you coming up greener than they would have otherwise? Are you the kind of charismatic person that brings life? Do when you walk into a room, are people glad that you're there? Like genuinely glad that you're there? And do you take uh, stewardship of that moment and make investments in the lives of people, pouring life out of yourself? Have you ever noticed that all clay pots that are worth their weight in clay have a hole at the bottom of the pot? <coughs> Somebody who does planting, tell me why there's a hole at the bottom of that pot. Well, why does the water need to come out? Doesn't the plant want to consume the water? Right? So what happens if you don't have a... What happens to the pot? What happens to the roots to, of a pot with there's no hole in the bottom? Rot. What is the life of a believer in Jesus that does not have an outpouring? This is how the Lord designed it. And then he showed us in nature how this actually works. That we are filled to overflowing. And if we, we don't have a place for this stuff to drip out in big and little ways, then who are we? So when we ask to be filled with the Spirit, we are filled with the Spirit at the point of salvation. He takes residency in us. But when we pray to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, we're saying cut the hole out the bottom and let it drip. I'm not going to try and fill this crack. I'm just going to let it drip. It's simple. It's simple. That it's not easy, but that's simple. I think that's it. That, that's how I try to live my life, and it's how I see so many of you living your lives, just wandering all over the place, dripping on people. It's beautiful, right? So what I want us to do is just for a minute, not even in discussion, just in prayer for just a minute. Thanks for the extra time today. 
Um, thanks for letting me be vulnerable with you as a growing disciple who is uncomfortable having conversations like this. I just want us to pray to be filled freshly with the power of the Holy Spirit that we would grip in the right places this week and that life would come up around us. And if the Lord wants to do something in the manifestation of a gift, so let it be. But break up into groups of three or four or five and just pray over each other. If you would so desire to be filled freshly and baptized in the Holy Spirit in this moment, let's go ahead and pray that. If you just want to pray over others, that's fine. But if you want that prayer, the group will pray for you. Amen? Sound good? All right. So Jesus, we ask, Lord, we've said it all morning. Lord, Spirit, come. Spirit of the living God, come fall and fresh upon us today, Lord. And so as we pray for each other, as the body ministers to itself, Lord, may the fullness of your desired gifts that are to be released be released today. In Jesus' name.